Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olivest. Thus far on Breaking Down Patriarchy podcast, we've talked a lot about how the system of patriarchy has impacted women, but we haven't talked much about what it means to be a woman. Simone de Beauvoir famously said, one is not born, but becomes woman. And we talked about the concept that sex is biological and gender is social, or put another way, sex is between the legs and gender is between the ears. But today we're going to discuss a ground groundbreaking text that calls those assertions into question and paved the way for queer theory. It's Judith Butler's Gender Trouble, written in 1990. And I'm so happy to have the brilliant and very experienced Maxine Hanks here to discuss it with us. Thank you so much for being here again, Maxine. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Amy. It's always fun to discuss books with you. I love your podcast. And I've been looking forward to discussing Gender Trouble um, because it's such a major feminist work that changed the landscape of feminist theory and, and gender studies and queer theory. So I'll start us off with a brief intro of the author, as usual, and then I'd love it if you could provide some context and framing before we start sharing passages of the book. Sure. And I'll I'll note also, this is um, a first for the podcast, Judith Butler is legally non-binary, and Butler goes by both she, her, hers, and they pronouns. So here we go. Judith Pamela Butler was born in 1956 in Cleveland, Ohio, to a family of Hungarian Jewish and Russian Jewish descent. Butler's parents were practicing Reform Jews. Their mother was raised Orthodox, but eventually became Reform. Judith Butler attended uh, Hebrew school. But when she was in Hebrew school, her rabbi said that Judith talked too much, was too too talkative in class. So this rabbi created ethics classes just for Judith in Hebrew school because they were questioning so much and talking so much. And so Judith Butler received really the first training in philosophy through Hebrew school. Uh, Judith Butler chose to attend university at Bennington College because, quote, it seemed to be a place where, as a young queer kid, I would be okay in 1974. I knew that there were other people who were at least minimally bisexual, end quote. Butler says that their parents, while not always wholly comfortable with their sexuality, were ultimately accepting. Quote, I grew up understanding something of the violence of gender norms. An uncle incarcerated for his anatomically anomalous body, deprived of family and friends, living out his days in an institute in the Kansas prairies. Gay cousins forced to leave their homes because of their sexuality, real and imagined. My own tempestuous coming out at the age of 16 and a subsequent adult landscape of lost jobs, lovers and homes. All of this subjected me to strong and scarring condemnation, but luckily did not prevent me from pursuing pleasure and insisting on a legitimating recognition for my sexual life. It was difficult to bring this violence into view precisely because gender was so taken for granted at the same time that it was violently policed, end quote. 
So Judith attended Bennington College before transferring to Yale University, where they studied philosophy and received a BA in 1978 and a PhD in philosophy in 1984. Butler taught at Wesleyan University, George Washington University, and Johns Hopkins University before joining University of California, Berkeley in 1993. You know, I love that you gave her personal background, Amy, because the lived experience in a body, a family, a culture shapes all of us. And it especially has shaped all of the groundbreaking feminists and gender theorists. And I just find it really, really fascinating and important how her own identity is kind of bi-gendered, masculine and feminine, and her sexual orientation is bi and then gay or lesbian. And then the the body and the suffering of her uncle mm-hmm. who had, as she said, a typical um, secondary sex sexual characteristics um, is, is really, really interesting because his, his body itself as non-binary, non-typical shaped her experience. And we'll be getting into that idea a little bit later, but I just think that that's so important for understanding why she was awakened to this at such a young age, why she was just so aware, plus her own brilliance and her own genius, but Mm -hmm. that she would be driven to do something theoretically, scholarly, and socially about these issues. I agree. And two things that keep coming to my mind that I've learned in the process of doing this podcast, just two little sound bites from the 1970s that won't be new to you, but they were to me. One is that concept that arose from the second wave of feminism, which is the personal is political. Um, Well, it's interesting because her book, Gender Trouble, really takes off from that point because it's very paradoxical, her position, which I'll get into later, but that the body does shape, inform, affect, ground our lived experience. And yet what she's doing with gender trouble is is actually, in many ways, departing from the body and, and basically mm-hmm. saying that it's desire and performance that, that constructs us. She's saying bodies are not static. They're not definite. They're not essential. They are fluid. They are changeable. And so you can't have a fixed definition or or identity um, about the body. Gender trouble marked the end of second wave feminism uh, at the end of the 80s and the beginning of third wave feminism in 1990. So to use a postmodern term, gender trouble itself was a signifier of that shift from second wave feminism and women's studies in the 70s and 80s to queer theory and gender studies in third wave feminism of the 1990s and into the 2000s. In her preface to the second edition, which is the one I read also, Butler said she didn't know it would constitute a provocative intervention in feminist theory or be cited as one of the founding texts of queer theory. Her explanation in this second edition of Gender Trouble is interesting. It's revealing. She says, as I wrote it, I understood myself to be in an embattled and oppositional relationship with certain forms of feminism, even as I understood the text to be part of feminism itself. Okay, thanks for that, Maxine. So let's dive in to some of her basic premises, along with sharing some passages from the text. And I would love it if you would get us started with some important concepts from the book. Sure. First off, Butler's work was a radical departure from and a deconstruction of sex versus gender. 
as a kind of um, dichotomy. Butler argued that both gender and sex are constructed, they're performative as established or created through one's own choices and behavior. So here's a quote. If gender attributes and acts, the various ways in which a body shows or produces its cultural signification are performative, then there's no pre-existing identity by which an act or an attribute might be measured. There would be no true or false, real or distorted acts of gender. And the postulation of a true gender identity would be revealed as a regulatory fiction that gender reality is created through sustained social performances means that the very notion of an essential sex and a true or abiding masculinity or femininity are also constituted as part of the strategy that conceals gender's performative character and also the performative possibilities for proliferating gender configurations outside of those restricting frames of masculinist domination and compulsory heterosexuality. To unpack that a little bit, Butler criticized a very key premise of feminist theory and practice regarding gender and sex. So Butler shifted the viewpoint from biological sex as natural or essential to the viewpoint that nothing is natural or essential. She's saying that all aspects of body and identity are fluid, constructed by behavior, desire, performance, and power. That's what she's proposing, which is really uh, complex. What she does is just to kind of give a quick overview of how she does it. This, this is like a quick one, one or two sentence overview. She engaged theories, really complex theories from Freud and Lacan on psychological formation and de Beauvoir, Kristeva, Irigaray, and uh, Wittig on female sex and gender and feminism. And she explores Derrida and Foucault on postmodern theory. And then she takes all these theories and really engages them and, and brings them together in unique ways and uses the work of all these theorists to support her, her premise that sex as well as gender is socially constructed. But her conclusions, you know, based on her use of these theorists becomes the basis for her book. And her book becomes the basis for many countless gender studies and feminist theory courses in the 1990s onward to the present time. I mean, Judith Butler's work reigns supreme in academia. So a major premise of her book is her critique of that feminist differentiation that I've described between gender and sex, arguing that feminism was wrong to view women as a group of people who had common characteristics. Well, you know, that is the basic premise mm -hmm. of cultural and radical feminism and separatist feminism and all the different feminisms. Um, Butler labeled that kind of feminism, difference feminism, as ahistorical or not grounded in actual history of bodies, identities, and their evolution over time, thus unreal. She says, if there is something right in Beauvoir's claim that one is not born, but rather becomes a woman, it follows that woman itself is a term in process, a becoming, a constructing that cannot rightfully be said to originate 
or to end. As an ongoing discursive practice, it, in other words, woman, is open to intervention and resignification. This is really the crux of her argument and the basis for her claims that both sex and gender are constructed. And this argument becomes the foundation of the um, queer theory and uh, trans activist view of woman, the definition of woman. What is the definition of woman? Who gets to define what woman is? Butler argued that feminism had reinforced the binary view of gender relations and traditional gender roles. And so feminists should not try to define women as a definite category or woman as a definite category. But feminists should instead, she said, focus on how power functions and shapes our understandings of womanhood in both society and even within the feminist movement. Butler dissolved the link between sex and gender so that gender and desire, which replaced sex as the more operative factor in sexual identity, can be, as she said, flexible, free-floating, and not caused by other stable factors. So this notion of identity is entirely free and flexible performance, not essential biology, is one of the major foundations of her work and also of, of queer theory and, of course, trans activism. So most feminists, myself included, and, you know, a lot of academics will agree that Butler was right in several ways, that the binary of male versus female sexed bodies doesn't hold true all the time, or even a lot of the time in mm -hmm. all kinds of ways. For example, nearly 2% of human bodies are born with non-binary primary or secondary sex characteristics. You know, the biology is complex. It's, it's beyond binary. There are all kinds of non-binary bodies. Sorry, I just have to throw in there. Go ahead. I looked up those numbers too, and that's so many more than I thought, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, two, two out of every 100 people. And so that means like we all definitely know intersex people, mm -hmm. but we just might not know it because they may not talk about it or advertise it. And um, that's just really important to know how common that is. Oh, yeah. The, the suffering, the prejudice mm -hmm. and the horrific gender reassignment surgeries when these children are born and assigned one gender or the other because they had complex, non-definitive um, genitalia or reproductive organs. It, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And of course, in, in past decades and centuries, what intersex people went through was, was terrible. They were seen as freaks or uh, evil, you know, and were tortured and killed. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty horrific. But also half of 1% of all people identify as transgender and so that's another uh, factor in, you know, the reality that, that biology and sex are, are, are mutable and changeable because even typical uh, male and female sexed bodies can morph mm -hmm. from male to female or female to male. So biological sex identity can be very fluid, malleable, and, and constructed in, in a number of ways, as well as gender identity. And it can be performative. People can change their um, sexual identity and their secondary sex characteristics and their sex hormones. But anyway, so Butler's work inspired and championed 
a much needed inclusion of sex fluidity and non-binary sexual identity and constructed sexual identity, as well as non-binary gender identity and fluidity, queer theory, sex and gender performance, trans identities and trans activism, all of them as very real, valid and integral parts of our notion of gender and sex and and also our studies of gender and sex, that all of these things needed to be considered and part of gender studies. So she broadened out the the, the concept in the field of women's studies and, and women's studies departments and programs began changing their name to gender studies programs mm. and departments because of her work. So mm-hmm. these programs really were changed by Butler. I did not realize that. Very much. Yeah, yeah, very much. When I entered women's studies in, in the mid to late 80s, it was women's studies. Yeah, And I was taking women's history classes and women's studies and feminist theory classes. Mm-hmm. And then Butler came along in 1990 and just completely transformed all of that. Out of that shift, there is this tension that emerged and it still exists today and is an ongoing academic, scholarly and feminist discussion about what do we do with these categories? Is is women's studies and women's history and the category of of women and women's is that still a real category? Is it still mm-hmm. use? Is it still useful? You know, right. what does woman mean now, and how do we work with that? How was this received at the time? Were were the responses to Butler mostly positive or critical or both? You know, they were I think more positive than negative, but definitely both, and very energetically both. Butler's non-binary view of bodies redefined sex and gender from its own position and perspective. And new language and labels emerged in gender studies and queer theory like cisgender, which actually speaks a non-binary view rather than a binary view of bodies. Uh, You know, that was that was a new term. Um, Essentialist feminism, which feminists had defined as defending the biological realities of female sexed bodies and lives, got redefined as gender essentialism, which is now defined as imposing a stereotypic traditional gender role or socially constructed unreal limits of masculine and feminine onto bodies. And so terminology and definitions were changing, you know. Her, her supporters ran with these things, ran with her theories and ideas and took them further and developing new concepts and new terms. Whereas, you know, her critics were saying, wait a minute, hold on, <laughs> you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and don't throw out what we've been working on for decades. You know, there's mm-hmm. some validity and truth here. Another example of kind of the, the shift that comes out of this tension and the two camps, you know, supporters and critics is the feminist theory of intersecting identities that we were talking about and exploring back in the 70s and early 80s, which meant that there are different aspects of our identity, like race, ethnicity, class, orientation, that are involved in shaping our identity along with our gender and our biological sex. And they're all formative of our identity. That kind of got reworked as intersectional feminism that gives all other aspects of identity equal weight with biological sex or femaleness or maleness, you know, and gender as all being equal, equally constructed and, and equal uh, factors in identities. So biological sex was no longer a bigger factor or a common factor of women or men or a more defining factor than any of those other factors like, like race and class and ethnicity. And so again, that was 
something that, you know, essentialist feminists, difference feminists were kind of chafing against. So I think there are some comparisons that can be made here between understanding gender and understanding race, because on one hand, we're taught that race is a social construct. It's completely made up by humans, right? And um, that's totally true. Race is just a construct that humans have invented. It's not real. There are not different kinds of people. And at the same time, ignoring all differences and saying, you know, we're all the same isn't true either. And on top of that, I mean, so many cultural constructs have been put in place around race. And so even if those cultural constructs are built on imaginary foundations, the construct does have very real impact. So to bring it back to gender, I see that as being analogous because sex and gender also seem to mean different things to different people. In some ways, it means nothing. In some ways, it means everything. One thing that you said to me a little while ago, Maxine, when we were chatting one time is just how important it is and how much we learn from the debate, right? And for her to assert something that is quite extreme, I learned so much from reading that extreme point of view and then hearing the critiques of it mm -hmm. and the responses mm -hmm. to it. So here's what Butler says about some of her critics. Mm -hmm. She sees them as uncomfortable with the mm -hmm. fact that my work allows for ambiguity. My point is that many of these issues are not resolvable. And in her, again, her 1999 preface to the second edition of Gender Trouble, she, she defended um, her dogged effort to denaturalize gender. She said, it emerges, I think, from a strong desire to both counter the normative violence implied by ideal morphologies of sex and to uproot the pervasive assumptions about heterosexuality upon sexuality. And this denaturalization was not done simply out of a desire to play with language or prescribe theatrical antics in the place of real politics. It was done from a desire to live to make life possible and to rethink the possible. Butler also explained that she was writing in the tradition of imminent critique to provoke critical examination of the basic vocabulary of the movement. She saw a need or warrant for such criticism to, quote, distinguish between self-criticism that promises a more democratic and inclusive movement and criticism that seeks to undermine it all together. She lamented that it's possible to misread the former as the latter, which she hopes or hoped will not be done to her work in gender trouble. This is so important. This is what I see as the crux of the disagreement, the tension about her work from different, from two sides and different sides is whether her intent or the effect of her work truly invites, as she said, a more democratic and inclusive movement or whether her work actually undermines it altogether, meaning feminism. That's, mm -hmm. that's, I think the, the crux of the conflict and, um, and I, I say that her work does indeed invite a more democratic and inclusive movement, hmm. at least for non-binary feminists and LGBTQIA and non-binary and queer and trans people and theories and activists. 
absolutely. And this was desperately needed. Her work has done a great service to, to all of us. But I don't think it invites a more democratic or inclusive environment or movement for essentialist feminists <laughs> or mm. binary bodies, you know, people who experience their, their life and their body and their health issues and their, <laughs> you know, identity as, as very biologically and essentially based in maleness or femaleness. Instead, you know, her work and everything that has arisen from it tends to categorize, you know, essential biology or, or sex identity as socially assigned, contrived, imposed at birth and, and through life. And it, it occurs to me as we're doing this episode on a podcast called Breaking Down Patriarchy, right? I mean, it's really patriarchal systems that have for so long suppressed and oppressed and erased and and incarcerated, like we talked about, bodies that don't fit this very tiny little definition, this tiny little box. And it, like you said, it would make sense that as we're, you know, deconstructing those very unjust and mm -hmm. unkind and incorrect practices, like we we deconstruct that, but now we're kind of deciding what to build in its place and whether we, you know, what what kind of structure. Um, so that actually brings us to the end of our discussion. And I'd love to know if you have a takeaway from gender trouble, what would you say that would be? Hmm. I guess my takeaway is the hope that Butler and her critics both, and that people on both sides of the essentialist versus constructionist divide will find a common ground. I hope for a reconciliation or a true inclusion. What about you? What's your takeaway? There are a lot of things where Judith Butler introduced a lot more questions than answers for me. And I'm trying to just be humble and open-minded and learn all I can. And one answer that I'm really, really clear on is just love, love and be kind. And hmm. I mean, if you have no idea what it would feel like, then mind your own beeswax. <laughs> like, <laughs> then stay that right. Then step back with kindness and grace and allow people to. Mm -hmm to work through the things that they, you know, that they need to work through with, with love and safety and kindness that, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a really low bar, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Well, no, it's, it's vital because that's really at the crux of the pain and the anger and the conflicts out, you know, out there and on the internet and in academic discourse and pop discourse over this. Um, mm -hmm. Because... <sighs> The, the essentialist and traditional um, point of view has been killing people for mm -hmm. not only decades, centuries. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. been torturing and killing people. And, you know, I understand and I honor and, and you know, the anger, you know, and uh, uh, about anyone expressing a point of view that projects you know, or, or rights onto another body, you know, someone else's perspective. We don't have the right to project or write onto another body, our perspective on gender and sex and our beliefs. And, and this is what the activism and the anger is standing up to and, and needs to, because as you said, you know, I mean, the point is 
we define, and this this is a truth that that comes out of Butler's work and and all the resulting work. We are as individuals, we define our own identity and gender and sexuality, and we get to say who and what we are, and and that is true. And and then the issue becomes. Well, if someone is expressing their own identity and their own views about identity and they're not really commenting on you or yours, is that inappropriate? Is that abusive? And so mm-hmm. th- that's where the tension is in, mm-hmm. you know, the battle over who gets to say what in public, you know, mm-hmm. about gendered and sexed bodies. When are we describing our own experience and our own identity? And when are our descriptions or beliefs you know, about our own experience, when is that intruding on someone else's body and psyche and life in a way that is harmful, Mm -hmm. you know? So I want to be careful and I hope that I've been careful in trying to explain and and validate different views without being insensitive or coming across Mm -hmm. like I'm not aware of the stakes here Mm -hmm. and and why this is such a, a conflicted topic. Mm, I I think you've done it beautifully and masterfully. And it just makes me all the more grateful that you were the one to discuss this book with me. You introduced it to me. <laughs> like you, I really am. Uh, I, I see its value. It's, it's really critical reading and so grateful that you were the one to discuss it with me. So thank you, Maxine. Thanks so much for being here again. Well, it was my pleasure. 